Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Americas. Coming up, Cuba faces an unprecedented exodus. More than 2% of the island's population has left for the United States over the past year, a stark sign of lost hope among Cubans for the future of their country. A shakeup in the U.S. Democratic Party after Arizona Senator Kristen Sinema announces she's becoming an independent. She says she'll keep voting the same way as before. Still, her surprise move is a headache for Democrats and for the White House. And joy in Argentina after the team secures its spot in the World Cup final, offering star Lionel Messi his final chance at the trophy. We'll look at excitement in his hometown of Rosario and Buenos Aires. And we begin in Cuba, which is seeing its biggest exodus of people since Fidel Castro rose to power in the 1960s. According to U.S. government data over the past year, nearly 250,000 Cubans have migrated to the United States, more than 2% of the island's population and more than 4% of its working population. It's a stark sign of lost hope among Cubans faced with deteriorating living conditions, including constant blackouts and lack of access to food and medicine. Well, for some insight into the situation, I'm joined by Professor Ted Hankin, an associate professor of sociology and Latin American studies at Baruch College, part of New York City University. Thank you so much for joining us here on France 24. Could you perhaps just start by painting us a picture of what life is like in Cuba right now and your sense of why people are leaving? Yes, I think we would start with two words, muy difícil, very uh, difficult. Um, uh, Cuba has always had chronic economic problems due to its centralized command economy, um, you know, state socialism. However, this has become very acute in recent years for a number of reasons, and that has led to uh, scarcities of medicine, especially during COVID, and of basic foodstuffs. And uh, Cuba is also having terrible energy problems, which leads to blackouts that can last anywhere from all day to half the day that then make it very hard to refrigerate food. And so all of these economic and daily life struggles combined with a new wave of government repression that followed the marches that took place in the summer of 2021 have led many people to give up hope on seeing a better day in Cuba, and therefore they have been, you know, um, leaving in record numbers. And that's saying a lot, given that Cuba, under the revolution, has a very, very high uh, immigration, people leaving, but it's even higher in the last year, year and a half. And you mentioned some factors within Cuba, uh, but to what extent do you think U.S. policy might be contributing to the situation? You know, the U.S. policy is aimed at the Cuban government to restrict empowering the government or uh, allowing the government to repress uh, the government, uh, the people. It's also aimed at trying to um, encourage the government to open up to reform. However, my opinion is that the burden of that those policies lands on everyday Cubans and makes life harder for them. However, I would argue that it is the dysfunctional uh, and undemocratic system in Cuba that is the primary cause for the unrest that we saw over the last year and a half in the streets, demands for change, demands for freedom, 
Um, and uh, now with people losing hope that that will actually happen. And both the Cuban and American governments face consequences uh, from the population leaving. The U.S. is dealing with huge immigration numbers. Cuba, meanwhile, is facing an aging population. Uh, what are each of the, the countries doing to, to stop people from leaving, and what solutions do you see? Well, the first thing they're doing, finally, and I think is positive, they're talking to one another. They've had some meetings. Uh, uh, focus is specifically on the immigration crisis that they're experiencing because, as you said, it negatively impacts both countries. Cuba is losing its young people, its ambitious people, the best and the brightest, and it has an aging population, and it doesn't have people joining the workforce um, that can support those old people. Of course, when they move abroad, they do end up eventually getting jobs and sending money back to Cuba. One of the biggest um, economic lifelines in Cuba, one of the biggest parts of the Cuban economy are remittances sent by people abroad, especially in the United States, back to Cuba. And under Trump, that was restricted, and that was one problem uh, with U.S. policy. So they have reversed that policy. They have allowed greater travel, um, and they're meeting to try to uh, uh, zero in on some of the specific issues that governments can control that lead to uh, uh, out-migration and uh, a crisis uh, at the U.S. border of, of not just Mexicans or Guatemalans or Central Americans, but of course of Cubans. Professor Hankin, thank you so much for joining us here on France 24. That was Ted Hankin, an associate professor of sociology and Latin American studies at Baruch College, part of New York's City University. To the U.S. next, where there's been a shakeup in the Democratic Party. After winning a 51-49 seat majority in the Senate, one of those senators, Kirsten Sinema, announced she is leaving the party to become an independent. The Arizona senator says she will not caucus with the Republicans and that she plans to vote the same way she's been voting over the past four years. Still, her surprise move is a headache for Democrats and the White House. Catherine Viet has more. No sooner did the Democrats seal their win this month with a 51-49 Senate majority than Kirsten Sinema announced she was leaving the party to become an independent. You know, when I ran for Senate in 2018, I promised Arizonans that I'd be an independent voice for our state. That's exactly what I've done over these last four years. We have a lot on our plate right now in the United States Senate, and I'm going to keep doing that work. Since arriving in Washington four years ago as the new Democratic senator for Arizona, Sinema has done things her own way. Considered a centrist, Sinema has been a key swing vote in the Senate since Joe Biden was elected president in 2020. But for the last two years, she's also been a polarizing figure for the Democrats, refusing to support party efforts to raise taxes on businesses and individuals and opposing changes to the filibuster a Senate rule that essentially requires 60 votes to pass most legislation. These moves have made Cinema deeply unpopular with the Democratic Party in her home state. Critics accused her of putting her own priorities ahead of the party's. With Biden's second-term agenda under fire from Republicans set to take control of the House of Representatives, the White House knows it needs to keep Cinema on side. The way we see it and understand it, it does not change the new Democratic majority uh, control of the Senate. And uh, we have every reason to expect that we will continue to work with her successfully. Because uh, she has voted with the president 93 percent of the time, because she has worked with us on key uh, priorities of this administration. 
While her decision has angered many, political analysts say it's a shrewd move meant to avoid a grueling primary fight in 2024. But that sets up a fresh headache for the Democrats in two years. So I think what we're seeing here is Kristen Sinema anticipating a near-certain primary challenge from another Democrat. And instead, she's choosing to pivot to the middle to instead make a pretty aggressive, um, aggressive attempt to sway independent-leaning Democrats, independent-leaning Republicans, as well as as many Democrats as she can get. For now, Cinema joins the other two independents in the Senate, Bernie Sanders of Vermont and Angus King of Maine, both of whom caucus with the Democrats. Next to Argentina, where fans are ecstatic after the country secured its spot in Sunday's World Cup final. They beat Croatia 3-0 in the semifinal, with Lionel Messi starting off the score with a penalty. It makes him Argentina's record World Cup scorer, taking him to 11 goals in total. Messi also tied the record for most appearances at the World Cup by playing for the 25th time. Well, Argentine fans are delirious with joy and with admiration for their star player. Let's take a listen. After the first goal, we were relieved. Everybody just relaxed. I think the team could feel our energy. I'm sure we're going to be champions. It was a dream scenario. I think all supporters were expecting the match to be way harder. Well, all of Argentina will be on tenderhooks on Sunday as La Albi Celeste try to win their third world title and their first since 1986. It's also probably the last chance for Lionel Messi to lift the trophy, the only one that's missing from his trophy cabinet. Messi is considered by many to be the greatest footballer ever, and back in his hometown of Rosario and in Buenos Aires, the sense of anticipation is palpable. Oliver Ferry has more. In the city of Rosario, its favourite sun is everywhere. 300 kilometres north of Buenos Aires, this is the birthplace of Lionel Messi. This is the very first mural that was done in 2018. For four years, Victoria Lopez has been organising chores around Messi's childhood neighbourhood. He inspires affection around the world, and even more so here, where residents are very proud to have witnessed and contributed to the creation of this legend, this god that is Lionel Messi. On the street where Messi grew up, his neighbours have marked what is likely to be his last World Cup with yet another mural. It's madness here. We've hung banners. We've painted everything sky blue and white. Because this year the World Cup is ours. We have to bring home the trophy. Messi has taken home seven Ballon d'Ors, four Champions Leagues, 11 league titles in Spain and France, but the World Cup has eluded him. For people in Buenos Aires, this Messi's fifth tournament will be his year. We all hope that Messi will score the greatest goal in history. I think this time he'll win. In souvenir shops here, Messi is often found side by side with another Argentine great, the late Diego Maradona, who lifted the World Cup in 1986. Here we have T-shirts with Messi, Messi and Diego. If Messi wins the World Cup, Messi and Diego will go down in history for life. Fans will be flocking to bars for the kickoff at noon local time on Sunday. It's all about Messi. It's his last World Cup. We believe in him. Only one match now stands between Messi 
and the one prize he has yet to win. And we end in Brazil, where President-elect Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva broke down in tears at a ceremony ratifying his election win. It's our image of the week. It cemented the veteran leftist comeback for a third presidential term. The 77-year-old ex-metal worker was overcome with emotion as he praised the boldness of the Brazilian people. Lula is set to be inaugurated on January 1st after he defeated far-right incumbent Jair Bolsonaro. Well, next week, Inside the Americas will be broadcasting a special show that was filmed in Brazil ahead of Lula's inauguration. Jeannie Godula went to meet those who make a very divided country and asked them if reconciliation is possible. You don't want to miss it. Lula's comeback, The Fight to Reunite Brazil, airs on December 21st. Well, that's it for this week's edition of Inside the Americas. Thanks very much for watching. There's more news coming up after this.